Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to continue our, our series on the Lord's Prayer. And as you remember last week, um, we started um, with the verse in Matthew 6 and, and verse 10, uh, where Jesus, he, he, he was teaching his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, it was, it was a longer sermon, so we cut it in half. And we only did half of it last week, so we will be jumping in um, on point two today in your outline. Um, and if you remember last week, we talked about the central idea here, the subject of, it was just kind of just permeating everything that Jesus taught. It was the kingdom of God. I mean, he wanted us to understand the, the kingdom of God. So what we talked about last week, <clears throat> we answered one question, and that is, what is the kingdom of God? That's what we looked at last week. And to refresh your memory here, the kingdom of God is simply anywhere that God reigns. That's the simple definition. And then we expanded on that just a little bit. And um, we said the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. And uh, that's what we talked about um, last week in the, in the messages there. So today, we're going to jump down and we're going to look at number two on your outline. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? You know, we need to ask ourselves a question here. You know, what would it look like if, if um, we were people that prayed like this? If we prayed like this all the time, you know, what did Jesus expect his disciples to do because of this prayer? What was he asking them to do? Well, number one, to pray your kingdom come is to pray for people to make Jesus their king. It's to pray for Jesus, uh, people to make Jesus their king. <clears throat> now, when you think about this, if the primary place um, that God's kingdom comes is first of all in people's hearts, then to pray your kingdom come is to really to cry out to God or to ask God for people to come to know him as king. That's what it means. It's to pray for his rule and his reign to spread throughout all the earth here. You know, there are people I know that I want in the kingdom of God. You know, I want my family in the kingdom of God. I want my wife in the kingdom of God. I want my kids in the kingdom of God. And I'm sure you can say the same thing about your family. You want your family in the kingdom of God. Now, this prayer here, it's not just a prayer, you know, for people just to believe in Christian things, but it's a prayer for people to see Jesus as their king, have them to be the king of their kingdom that they, that they need to be in. Also, to pray your kingdom come is to stir a longing for the king's return. Is to stir a longing for the king's return. You know, when we cry out to God and we ask him for his kingdom to come, we're setting our eyes and our hearts on the horizon of history. You know, we're looking beyond. We're looking forward to that final kingdom, you know, from Isaiah's vision. You know, we're orienting our minds and our and our hearts and our souls um, to the day when Jesus returns to set things right. Now, understand when we, we, we talked about a kingdom, the here and now kingdom that we're in, the church, 
the kingdom of God, and then the kingdom come when Jesus comes back and, and takes all of his own home. Folks, it's the same kingdom, but there's two diff there's a difference there. One is we're living in the kingdom here, and we can't physically see Jesus. But when Jesus comes back to get us, we're going to be able to see him. That will be the difference, but it's the same kingdom. But we're looking at, at two different places here. So it's kind of partial now, and partial will come. It'll be, it'll be like a, a twofer. We're getting uh, two things here for one. So it's something to look forward to here. Now, Paul urges the, the Colossian Christians here. He says, set your hearts on things above you know, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Matter of fact, in, in Colossians 3 and verse 2, here are the words. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We need to ask ourselves this, is the compass of our life, is it pointed toward the king's return? Ask yourself that question. Just really deeply think about that for a minute. Is the compass of your life pointed toward the king's return. You know, some people, they don't give that a whole lot of thought. You know, it's kind of like the seed that falls on thorny soil in Jesus' parable. You know, the message of the kingdom, it's been choked out by all the worries of life, all the worries of the world when we don't think about it very often. But the Bible teaches us in Romans, the second chapter, in verse 6, that God will repay each person according to what um, they have done. In other words, Jesus is going to return and he's going to judge every person on this earth. That is a fact. That's going to happen. And those who already know him as king that belong to his family will be gathered into um, the eternal kingdom with God. That's going to be a wonderful blessing. While those who don't know him, they're going to be gathered together too, but it's not going to be in God's kingdom. It's going to be in the kingdom of Satan. And it's not going to be something that you want to be a part of. So there's going to be a gathering. We're going to one of two places. You know, Matthew 7 talks about that. Talks about the wide road and the straight road. Talks about how many's going, going down the big broad road where everybody goes. And then how many, how few there are that, that find actually the kingdom of God, the straight and narrow road. And folks, the kingdom of God is the straight and narrow road. That's the road that we want to be on. Now, I really suspect, looking around the audience today, I suspect that everyone here today believes that Jesus is coming again. If you believe that, say amen. 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 But maybe, just maybe, you know, it's not something that affects you emotionally on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, maybe that's the case. Ask yourself the question again. Are you ready for Jesus to return? If you're not, you better get ready. Are you ready for his return? Bob Russell, many of you know him. Some of you study some of his material and Bible studies and such. But Bob Russell, good Christian man, good friend of mine, he published an article sometime back in which he gives nine reasons why he's looking forward to that final heavenly kingdom promised for all Christians here. Number one, he says, heaven will be a place of delicious food. Now, I can get along with that. I'm sure there'll be collards there. You know, heaven is called the wedding supper of the lamb in Revelation 19, verse 9. Um, just wonderful. You know, heaven will be a place of delicious food. Secondly, he says, 
it will be a place of refreshing water. Revelation 22 and verse 17. You know, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of water of life. Um, and then number three, he says this. It will be a place of incredible beauty. Uh, the New Jerusalem is described as a bride uh, beautifully dressed for her husband. Um, don't you know that's a beautiful sight? And don't you know, someone used this illustration not too long ago. I forget who it was. But Jesus spent six days here creating this, this earth. And there are some beautiful places on this earth. He's been in heaven preparing a place for us since he left. We can't fathom how beautiful heaven's going to be. Our minds will, just can't comprehend it, you see. But anyway, it'll be a place of incredible beauty. It will also be a place of new beginnings. In Revelation 21, in verse 5, um, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then four verses earlier than that, it speaks of new heaven and a new earth. You know, it'll be a place of, of welcome rest as well. You know, those who die in the Lord, they're guaranteed um, rest from their labor. Revelation 14 verse 13 tells us that. You know, to those who are weary and heavy laden, heaven promises a relaxing change of pace. You know, when you're tired and you're weary, that's just a wonderful thought right there. And the sixth thing he says, there'll be a place of meaningful service. Revelation 22 and verse 3, the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Number seven, he says, it will be a place of sinless perfection. You know, in Revelation 21 and verse 4, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can you imagine a place with no cancer, no steel ultrasounds, no divorce, no hurt, no hurt feelings, no pandemics. You know, Christ um, will reign in perfection. No politics. You know what a wonderful blessing that alone will be. Number eight, it will be a place of uninhibited worship. You know, we'll join the multitude shouting hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. It tells us in, in Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7. Um, just the thrill of worshiping God when he can be seen standing before us. That is awesome. Man. Number nine, it will be a place of loving relationships. Revelation 19 and verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Question, what are you looking forward to about the coming kingdom? What are you looking forward to? Folks, I believe this is something that we need to think about, and we really need to think about it on a daily basis. Because in James, it tells us we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could happen before we finish this message. You know, but what a blessing it will be when he comes back. As long as we belong to the kingdom of God, it will be a blessing. And we can say that. Moving right along. To pray your kingdom comes um, is to, number three, question competing loyalties in your heart. It's to question those competing loyalties that you have in your heart. If you notice, Jesus says to pray 
your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not the idea of what I want the world to be, not my agenda, not any social project that exists to make the world a better place. But he says, Play, pray your kingdom come. Talking about Christ's kingdom to come. That's who, that's who we want to come here. You know, there are a lot of people that hold many Orthodox Christian beliefs here but they do not live as if Jesus is the king of their lives. They don't live that way. People say that I'm a Christian, but always they don't live like they're a Christian. Um, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're recognizing that becoming a Christian is not just believing in Jesus, but it's entering a kingdom as well. And to enter a new kingdom means that we recognize that Jesus Christ is the king over our lives. He should be on the throne in our hearts. And we recognize that that, you know, and we recognize that, that means that we renounce all other false lo uh, loyalties in our heart. We replace those loyalties in our heart with Jesus, King Jesus, you know, whatever that loyalty is. It means to recognize in your heart that Jesus is the higher authority in your life and, and other, uh, than other uh, previous uh, allegiances. We need to have Jesus there. You know, we don't put Jesus and something else as the king of our heart. It's Jesus, period. He's number one, you see. <laughs> Listen. This is why Jesus, uh, he prays. If you remember the story, this is why he praised the Roman centurion the way he did. You know, he was, he was the first person, as far as I know, um, in the whole Bible to recognize the coming of a new kingdom, you know, and he wasn't even a Jew. Think about that. In Matthew, the eighth chapter, in verse nine, uh, he said, I too am a man under authority. You know, when Jesus offered to, to come to his house and to heal his servant, the centurion said, just say the word. He understood that kingdom was coming. Folks, it is a known fact that it's very easy in this world to drift into false loyalties. And Satan is a master at getting you to do that. And sometimes he'll even call it, give it a Christian name. You know, if he can persuade you to do something that's not right, if he can persuade you to replace Jesus Christ um, from being the king of your life, if he can, re if he can persuade you um, to replace that with anything else, he'll do it. And even if he has to call it a Christian name to fool you. And he's good at it, folks. Um, the kingdom of God is both already, we talked about that, and not yet. And that's what I mean. We're in the kingdom of God right, right now. And the kingdom of God, when he comes back to take his, his people back with him, you know, that's still the same kingdom, but we will see Jesus then. You know, so it's kind of like it's two aspects of the same, of the same kingdom there. You know, it's partially realized now, but won't be finally realized until the return of Christ. I mean, think about it. Who all knows about the kingdom now? If you belong to the kingdom, you know about it. Some others may have known about it that have rejected it, 
but everybody don't know about the kingdom of God. But when he comes back, every eye is going to see him. And every mouth is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it will be too late for some people. But they will understand what the kingdom is then. <clears throat> um, some Christians, they tend to overemphasize the already nature of the kingdom, the one we're in now. You know, and they kind of read their um, version of Christ uh, into the history books, claiming that Jesus was just an ethical teacher of justice and love. And then they devote themselves to the cultural definition of, of what love is and abandon the gospel in favor of just the worldly paradigms of social justice and making the world a better place. And then on the flip side of that coin, um, on the other hand, many Christians, they overemphasize the not yet part of the kingdom. You know, saying that Christianity is only about individual faith, you know, and all we need to do is prepare people for the next world. So we can kind of withdraw from engaging in the world because we're too afraid of being polluted by it. You know, that's their idea. of. It. But let me tell you something. I caution anyone um, that leans towards either of these extremes. You know, either one of them can cause you to miss the message of Christ's kingdom and unknowingly replace Jesus on the throne with some political or some moral ideology um, that does not involve the permanent and present rule of Jesus Christ in your life. And we don't need to do that. You know, Listen to me. If our first goal is not to bring people to Christ Jesus and submission to his rule, then it's very easy for us to allow our faith to be hijacked by, cult by the cultural narrative, you know, and then be baptized with random Christian lingo, you know, and the devil's good at that stuff. So we need to be careful. So listen to me here. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're renouncing all other cultural narratives, and we're refocusing our loyalty on Jesus, our King. Amen? Amen. Okay. And lastly, to pray your kingdom come. Number four on your outline. Plan your participation in God's kingdom. Plan your participation in God's kingdom. I'm going to use a hypothetical illustration here. Imagine that Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX, he announced that he had discovered a way for human beings to live on Mars. And in fact, they had already built a residential colony and they were preparing there to colonize Mars. I know that's kind of a far out deal here. And they opened up the option to anyone to live on Mars. You know, it was, it was a free gift, but in order to do that, you actually... Um, had to breathe and function on Mars. And in order to breathe and function on Mars, there was an acclimation process that had to take place. You know, you had a very specific diet, you know, that you could eat and the amount of exercise that you had to do. And you had to wear a special suit for a period of time, let's say 10 years, you know, before your body was acclimated to the conditions. But once it was acclimated to those conditions, you could live on Mars just like you live on Earth, and then you could enjoy a normal life in a brand-new Martian colony. Now, I know that many of you want to sign up for that right now, 
But, um, and if you failed to the acclimation process here, you know, if you didn't follow the instructions, you couldn't live on that colony. Folks, listen to me. I know that was a crazy illustration, but listen to me here. If you're a Christian, everything you do in life is training um, for life in God's kingdom. Everything we do in life is training for life in God's kingdom. 2 Corinthians, third chapter, in verse 1, it says this, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Now, that is to say this, the longer we spend in the presence of God, the more we are transformed and the more we are acclimated to his glory. So, folks, the bottom line is this. We need to participate in God's kingdom now. We need to be participants in God's kingdom right now. And one of the uh, main ways that we participate in God's kingdom is through his church. You know, the church is, according to Philippians, the third chapter, verse 20, it's a colony of heaven. And folks, worship is the primary thing we do to acclimate ourselves to God's kingdom. You know, the United States, it has embassies in every country of the world. And when you enter that embassy, you are on United States property. Folks, understand this. We are an embassy of the kingdom of God. Get that? We are an embassy of the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors for Christ. Um, as though Christ was making his, his appeal through us. We are his spokesman. Look, the main way that you and I participate in the kingdom of God here on earth is being part of church. That's the way that we participate. Michael Berg, he says this. He said, the spirit-filled church is the global billboard declaring good things that God has prepared for the restoration of all things. Thought that was pretty good. Jesus gave his followers many commands. But there's only one thing he told them that they should seek first. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. That's what was important to him. Now, does that mean that we all should quit our jobs and become pastors? Absolutely not. You know, if the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people in God's place, and God's place is all of creation, then we can take this kingdom perspective into everything we do. Literally everything we do. Working with excellence is the way to show people God's glory. It was Amy Sherman. She lists several categories to help us think of the ways that God's kingdom, his kingdom perspective shows up in our vocations. And God's kingdom perspective, it shows up in all of our vocations, no matter who you are. But she gives this example. He's, for example, redemptive work, talking about God saving and his reconciling actions. He's talking about pastors and counselors and peacemakers. You know, there's, there's several in that category. And then creative work. You know, God's fashioning of the physical and, and human world 
talking about musicians and poets and painters and architects and interior designers, and this list could go on and on and on. And what about providential work? Your God's provision for and sustaining of humans and creation. We're talking about mechanics and plumbers and firefighters. Folks, that's almost an endless list right there um, that we could add to that. And what about justice work? You know, God's maintenance of justice. Talking about justices and lawyers and judges and enforcement officers and, and peace uh, makers. That's an exhaustive list too. You can go on. I mean, that list is not exhaustive, but you can go on with many, many others that fit in there. What about compassionate work? You know, God's involvement in comforting and healing and guiding and, and shepherding. You think of doctors and nurses and paramedics and psychologists and social workers and all kinds of people that fit into that. What about the uh, revelatory work? You know, God's work to enlighten the truth. We're talking about educators and scientists and journalists and teachers and and the list goes on and on. My point I'm trying to make is this. No matter what your job is, no matter what it is, you have a kingdom calling. You have a job in the kingdom. You have a responsibility in the kingdom. You know, God has placed you in, in a vocation to be a witness to his rule and his reign, you know, um, in the kingdom. That means you're always looking for opportunities to introduce people to Jesus and the church. So we need to stay alert. We need to be aware of what's going on around us. You know, in all of the parables, Jesus told about the kingdom of God. The main idea is that it's something that we have to um, watch for, something we need to pay attention to, um, and in closing, I'd like to say this. In the book of Acts, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples, they gathered around him and they said this in Acts, the first chapter, verses six through eight. He said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you are a Christian, have you been given the gift of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So when the Holy Spirit comes on us, we're to be witnesses. And it says in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But look at that last part. And to the ends of the earth. Folks, that's the part that fits us. Maybe we're not in Jerusalem and we're not Samaria and we're not in Judea, but we're in the part that says to the ends of the earth there. And if we're Christians and we've been given the gift of his spirit, we have a responsibility. We are witnesses to his kingdom. And folks, we have a responsibility to do If you believe in Jesus Christ, you believe he's coming back. Amen? Amen. The king will return, and he will judge the world. It's a fact. The question is, are we ready? Are we ready? 
So when we talk about thy kingdom come, folks, that's a message that's just packed full of things we need to understand. What is the kingdom? What are our responsibilities in the kingdom? Are we ready when he comes back to take his kingdom home with him? Are we ready? Let's pray. Father, it's so good to be in your house. And it's so good that we have the opportunity to open your word. And Father, we pray that those of us in the kingdom, we will continue to work like we should. And Father, for those that are not in the kingdom, that you would lead this to them and we would be able to share the good news of your kingdom with them. Father, we just love you. We pray that you forgive us where we fall short. Help us to be mighty workers in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.